to LOA Today. I'm Walt Thiessen here with Life Coach Cindy Chavez and my little cat Joy. Today is Wednesday. Happy Neville Day, everybody. Wednesday, November 13th, 2019. It's 4 p.m. And time once again for another episode of LOA Today, your daily dose of happy. And I have uh, another reason to be happy today, Cindy. I had my ears cleaned. I can actually hear better now. Yes. So, <laughs> and it's an interesting thing. I mean, my, my left ear has been kind of clogged for a while now, so I've kind of been used to it. Now, all of a sudden, I got stereo back. And uh, It's kind of amazing how we get used to certain things. We do. Right? Yeah. And then we get them taken care of or whatever, and it's like, wow, what a big difference. And I, I think that uh, is really important to manifesting um, the idea of sometimes we tolerate things. We just... And we tolerate them to the degree that they just become the normal and we don't really think about it anymore. It's true. Right? And so, I, I mean, I was just having this discussion with a client earlier. Um, and sometimes they're little things. And it's funny because our chapter in the Neville book today is about trivia. And sometimes mm-hmm. it's little things we would think were trivial, not a big deal. And that's probably why we just like, ah, eh, you know, it's not that bad. Then we do something about it, and it's like amazing. Like yeah, right. Everything changes. I remember um, <laughs> thinking my eyeglass prescription wasn't that bad, or my contact prescription. Oh, it's you know, I don't think it needs to be changed. It's not that bad. And then it got updated, and I was like, oh, I can mm-hmm. see, like, I can see the leaves on the trees way right. down the street, right? Right, right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I'm good for you. I'm enjoying seeing um, Joy here because yeah, I haven't seen Joy in a very long time. When I used to do the early, early morning show, yeah. Joy used to uh, come in quite often, but uh, haven't seen Joy in a while. Well, the cold weather has driven him indoors like it has driven everybody else indoors. And, and it's tough for him because he's an outdoor cat. He loves being out all the time. So this is a little bit challenging for him, but he's also given me a really good looking, so I think he's happy right now. It's so thing. funny. You talk about the cold and cats and... I had a little Maltese dog that we loved her so much. And she had a little, like, her tail was, like, one inch long. She did not have the big swishy Maltese tail. She just had a little bobbed tail. And the vet said whoever she was born to, they probably thought that her father was a poodle. And so they bobbed the tail like a poodle. But actually, she was, both parents were Maltese, which was obvious after she wasn't a puppy anymore right but anyway we lost her a couple years back and we miss her so much and lately a white cat of course she was white a maltese this white cat with a bob tail <laughs> keeps showing up and walking around outside of the yard. Uh-huh. and we're, we're both convinced we're saying no she would not come back <laughs> <laughs> but i asked i asked my husband last night i said oh my gosh it is do you think that cat is like needing to be somewhere warm because mm. it's going to be in the twenties? And I was like, well, they wear fur, you know. Maybe they don't get cold, but obviously, you're telling me yes, they get cold. So, well, an interesting thing about cats: cats, as many people know, um, originated in Egypt, and yes. Egypt, of course, is known for its desert conditions, which explains why cats can handle such wide ranges in temperature. Oh. Uh, but it does get cold in the desert. Oh, it does. It gets very, yeah. very cold in the desert. And uh, so that's why they can handle it. But by the same token, anytime temperatures get down below freezing, it's dangerous for any kind of animal. It doesn't matter. Yeah. And especially a domesticated house cat that doesn't have a den somewhere to go to, now right. they're really exposed to the elements. So 
Yeah, Joy's a smart cat. He doesn't, uh, he'll, he'll stay out as long as he can, and then when it's getting really cold, he knows it. He scratches at the door like, okay, time to let me in. Let's go. <laughs> I remember the one actually fantastic miracle story when the cat got lost. Oh, yeah. You, know, you had to rescue it. Last winter, was, yeah. Oof. Yeah, that was so. that was a little hair-raising, to say the least. But, yes. yeah, he survived that one, too. He's He's quite the amazing cat. He really is. Yeah. <laughs> So anyway, we are, like you say, we're talking about Neville and we're talking about trivia. I'm kind of curious to find out what trivia, the word trivia means to Neville because it don't, right. nothing else means the same thing to Neville as it means to everybody. <laughs> so you so know, true. there's, there's right. going to be another definition, right? I and mean, there's going to be something, some symbol, some metaphor or something. <laughs> and I can't tell you, like, I don't know that one. I don't have that one <laughs> added to my decoder ring yet. So we'll right, have right. to find out together if there's some hidden, uh, hidden meaning here. Which is a good thing. Before we get started, let's remind people who are not yet subscribers to the podcast to become one. Uh, and most people are. I don't know. I know I've been kind of updating you lately on the numbers of people who are listening. Yes. Numbers have been increasing really quickly. We have surpassed 400 listeners. We are starting to close in on 500 listeners per episode. Very and good. I mean, this past summer we were at like 250. I'm thinking, whoa, this is great growth going on. I mean, this is fabulous. So, um, Thank you all uh, people who have subscribed and who are regular listeners, but if you're not yet a subscriber, please become one, and it's so simple to do. You just go to the homepage of our website, loatoday.net, and right at the top, it'll walk you right through it. In fact, uh, Daniel Mangina, who is one of my new Tuesday co-hosts, commented to me that uh, I asked him how how hard was it to do because he uh, subscribed um, with his iPhone. He said it was one click. I mean, you can't get much simpler than one click, so there you go. You've been wanting a one-click answer right that's right i have it's true and i got it there it is yeah this got on the wrong side well it's not the wrong side it's a good side i want the i want people to be able to subscribe easily now i just need it on this side but yeah i got a wonderful uh note from um one of our listeners over the weekend that Mm. really brought a big smile to my face yeah um just somebody loving the neville and loving uh us reading and discussing neville and he said I don't know if you have a plan for when you finally run out of Neville books, but maybe you could consider reading books that are like Neville or reading some of Neville's lectures. And I said, right. we have talked about that. We definitely we certainly have. We yeah. will keep going. But, uh, yeah, it's so nice to hear from people who uh, are enjoying the podcast and, and, and enjoying Neville. Warm, it was such a warm note, too. I mean, he was particularly appreciative of the contributions mm-hmm. you were making and What's his name? Michael, I think his name is. But yes. uh, Michael, thank you so much for that uh, commentary. Because I agree with you. I think Cindy's commentary is absolutely fabulous. That's why I'm oh, so well, glad to have her you. on the show. Thank you. <laughs> uh, well, I have fun. It's fun, you know. And when when you when you love doing something and something is fun, then it seems to come mm-hmm. easier. So you know, always encouraging people to find something they're curious about. Find something that they love to do. Yep. And just go do that thing. <laughs> go for it. Do it. Do it so, up. So, yes, so speaking of, um, you asked me how I'd been. Uh, so since I've seen you last, I have celebrated my first wedding anniversary. Woo-hoo! And the day we got married, um, the next day, so it was November 11th, 2018. The day after that, this news came out that there was something happening that the scientists couldn't explain. They said the earth rang like a bell. 
Mm. So we've always joked that the earth rang like a bell the day we got married. Okay. And then on our first anniversary, Mercury made its transit across the sun. Uh-huh. And so the scientific community was talking about that. So I thought that was a lot of fun. <laughs> You got a I lot of stuff going on. I believe there. it was all for us, you know. Thank you. Well, sure. I mean, that <laughs> Neville teaches us that. He teaches us that that we are the creators of our own universe. That uh, that everything is us pushed out, um, as he says. And so, sure, why not? That's that's part of you pushed out. Why not? Yeah, I love that. I hadn't thought about that phrase for a long time. Yeah, yeah that's very cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, are we ready to dive in? I'm ready. I believe we are. Why don't we just go for it? Chapter 13 of The Law and the Promise. And the name of the chapter is all trivia, which is what Walt was talking about. Like, is it going to have some hidden meaning? I don't know. We'll find Uh, out. He starts like he likes to do lately with um, a quote from Blake. Actually, two quotes from Blake. The first one says, general knowledge is remote knowledge. It is in particulars that wisdom consists, and happiness too. Uh, And then he goes on to say, we must use our imagination to achieve particular ends, even if the ends are all trivia. Because men do not clearly define and imagine particular ends, the results are uncertain. While they might be perfectly certain, to imagine particular ends is to discriminate clearly. And then a quote from Blake, How do we distinguish the oak from the beach, the horse from the ox, but by the bounding outline? So it sounds like Neville is encouraging us to be specific. Not only that, he's he's also encouraging us to recognize that he knew about terminology for Photoshop long before Photoshop came (laughs) along. (laughs) Bounding outline? Bounding outline, yes. (laughs) Right. So... He says definition asserts the reality of the particular thing against the formless generalizations which flood the mind. Life on Earth is a kindergarten for image making. The bigness or littleness of the object to be created is not in itself important. The great and golden rule of art, as well as of life, said Blake, is this, that the more distinct sharp and wiry the bounding line, the more perfect the work of art. And the less keen and sharp, the greater is the evidence of weak imitation. What is it that builds a house and plants a garden but the definite and determinate? Leave out this line and you leave out life itself. I think this is really interesting because this is sort of um, a topic of discussion in a, that I've had in a lot of LOA groups or you know, conversations is, do we get specific or do we stay general? Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times people, even me, when I'm coaching clients, especially around like partnerships, you know, the idea of writing a list with what you're looking for in a partner or maybe in a house you're looking to buy. I'm sure you and Louise have like talked about a list of what you want. Oh yeah. Ever changing. And sometimes when we get, I've always believed that sometimes the more particular we get, the more we start limiting ourselves because we're drilling down to something that's so specific. Um, but then there's the other idea as well is that, you know, it's important to be specific because we want mm-hmm. to see it very clearly. So where do you stand on that idea? Well, I agree with you on both sides. And I think the, the key point where specificity is concerned is actually more to do with the specificity of the feeling associated with it. I mean, oh, that was all about the feeling, nice. right? 
You know? Yes, nice and, catch. Right. And, and so the more specific we can get about the feeling, the more real it becomes. And that's right. where I think the great value and specificity is. That's why I think the trivia is so useful. I mean, I, that's where I think he's going with this concept of all trivia and his first sentence, even if the ends are all trivial. Um, I think he's going to the point that ultimately the trivia is there to make the experience real for us in our minds as we're imagining it. Okay, well, he's gonna. He, we're going to get some stories. Yay. Okay. Uh, so let, let's see what, what happens. He says the following stories are concerned with the acquiring of seemingly little things, or toys, as I call them. But they are important because of the clear imaginal images that created the toys. The author of the first story is one of whom it is said she has everything. <laughs> this is true. She has financial, social, and intellectual security. She writes... As you know, through your teaching and through my practice of that teaching, I have completely changed myself and my life. Two weeks ago, when you spoke of toys, I realized I had never used my imagination for the getting of things, and I decided it would be fun to try. <laughs> you told of a young woman who was given a hat by merely wearing that hat in her imagination. The last thing on earth I needed was a hat, but I wanted to test my imagination for this getting of things. So I selected a hat pictured in a fashion magazine. I cut the picture out and stuck it on the mirror of my dressing table. I studied the picture carefully, and then as I shut my eyes and in my imagination, I put that hat on my head and wore it as I walked out of the house. I did this just once. Mm. The following week, I met some friends for luncheon, and one of them was wearing the hat. We all admired it. The very next day, I received a parcel by special delivery messenger. The hat was in the parcel. The friend who had worn it the day before had sent the hat to me with a note saying she did not particularly care for the hat <laughs> and didn't know why she bought it in the first place. But for some reason, she thought it would look well on me, and would I please accept it? <laughs> I love this story. That's a good story. And I also noticed that um, she says to Neville at the beginning, as you know, mm -hmm. through your teaching and through my practice of that teaching, I've completely changed myself and my life. So this is someone that's got practice. Yep. Right? I mean, this is someone who has been, been using these tools. And so I just say that because to read that she says, I only did this once. Like, she did it once, and then the next week this all unfolded. Mm -hmm. And so I think that she was really adept at using these kind of tools. So don't beat yourself up if you try it once and it doesn't happen. Well, it's, it's an important point because I've noted on numerous occasions that I, didn't, I couldn't think of any Neville stories where the person was trying to manifest something and they only did it a fixed number of times and then stopped. And all the stories that we'd ever read, they just kept doing it until the thing showed up. This is the first one that I can recall running into where, right. like she said, I just did it once and then she just kind of left it alone. Right. So, I would noteworthy. I would agree. I don't remember it either. And that's why it struck me. I was like, okay, this isn't really the norm. Although it could be. Sure. If we practice. I think I'm on like a broken record of we have to practice, we have to practice. But, Okay. So let's see. I think we're going to get another story. But Neville says movement from dreams to things <laughs> is the power driving humanity. We must live wholly on the level of imagination, and it must be consciously and deliberately 
undertaken. Now this is in quotes, so I'm imagining it's another story. It says, all my life I've loved birds. I enjoy watching them, hearing their chatter, feeding them, and I'm particularly fond of the small sparrow. For many months, I have fed them crumbs of morning bread, wild bird seed, and anything I believe they would eat. As for all those months, I've been frustrated as I watched the larger birds, particularly the pigeons, <laughs> command the area, gobbling up most of the good seed and leaving the husks for my sparrows. To use my imagination on this problem seemed facetious to me at first, but the more I thought of it, the more interesting the idea became. So one night, I set about seeing, seeing is in quotes, I set about seeing the little birds come in for their full share of daily offerings, and I would tell my wife that the pigeons no longer interfered with my sparrows, but took their share like gentlemen and then left the area. <laughs> I continued this imaginary action for almost one month. Then one morning I noticed that the pigeons had disappeared. Oh. The sparrows had breakfast all to themselves for a few days. For those few days, no larger bird entered the area. They did return eventually, but to this day, they have never again infringed on the area occupied by my sparrows. They stay together, eating what I put out for them, leaving a full share of the area to my tiny friends. And do you know, I actually believe the sparrows understand. They no longer seem to be afraid when I walk among them. I believe that. <laughs> I, believe I love this story because I love birds, too. <laughs> I love this story. Well, it reminds me of a story that comes from my wife's family. Her aunt was uh, a woman very much ahead of her time. She lived alone for most of her life. She lived out in the country. She lived in... Now, this is in the latter half of the 20th century. She lived without running water. Um Barely had electricity, had electricity laid on about halfway through the time that she was there. Um, just lived very, very um, rough, I guess is the best way to describe it. it was a, but she loved it. She loved living that way. And one of the stories that gets passed along about her is that little birds, probably sparrows, would actually come to her and sit on her finger. <gasps> she could call them to her. They'd, they'd perch on her finger. She'd feed them. I mean, she had total... Um, commune with them. You know, she, she just totally got them, and they totally got They grokked her, and, and she them <laughs> to use the Robert Heinlein word. And I mean, I think about that. It's a fabulous thing, because first of all, that's somebody who's truly in vibrational harmony with their own inner being. That's exactly where she always wanted to be, and she was. Now, it may not have been a lifestyle that the rest of us would have picked, but it's what she picked, and it's what made her really vibrate to her highest level. And the birds responded to that. That's awesome. You know, do you remember Ripley's Believe It or Not? Yeah, sure. Well, in San Francisco, they had a Ripley's Believe It or Not museum. And I used to go there when I was a little girl. And one of the, you know, it was full of just, if you don't know of that, it's it was full of just fantastical things. And they, you know, they made models of them and, and bodied them out. And some of them were really, really crazy. And But one of them was a little girl, I think in England, probably in like the 1800s. And it said that, if she just crooked her finger, the bird would birds any birds would come and just land on her hand, and she mm -hmm. would commune with them. And out of all the you know impossible things that were presented in that museum, that's the one that I always remembered. Like I <laughs> wanted to be her. I wanted to be able to just call a bird over and have it sit on my hand. Yeah. So I'm really <laughs> loving the story that you're telling. Yeah, and and it's the uh, 
it, it's the aunt that had the biggest influence on my wife, on her sister, on her brother, the, the whole family, even though she herself was childless. Um, oh, wow. Her, her name was uh, Letha, uh, Aunt Letha. And, uh, in fact, uh, Louisa's sister, Lee, is named after her. But Letha is almost legendary in the Cohen family. Yeah. That's cool. <laughs> very, very cool. So, so Neville says about this story, this lady proves that unless our heart is in the task, unless we imagine ourselves right into the feeling of our wish fulfilled, we are not there. For we are all imagination and must be where and what we are in imagination. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you were just saying basically the same thing in different words about your aunt, that she was aligned. Totally. Right? Yeah. So cool. Totally. Yep. So here's another letter. In early February, uh, my husband and I had been in our new house one month, a home lovely beyond telling, perched on a rugged cliff with the ocean for our front yard, wind and sky for neighbors and seagulls for guests. We are ecstatic. (laughs) If you have experienced the joy and woe of building your own home, you know how completely filled with happiness you are and how completely empty your purse is. (laughs) A hundred lovely things clamored to be bought for that house, but the one thing we wanted most of all was the most useless, a picture. (laughs) Not just any picture, but a wild, wonderful scene of the sea dominated by a great white clipper ship. This picture had been in our thoughts all the months of building, and we left one living room wall free of paneling to hold it. Mm -hmm. My husband mounted decorative red and green ship lanterns on the wall to frame our picture, but the picture itself would have to wait. Draperies, carpeting, all the practical items must come first. Perhaps so, but that didn't stop either one of us from seeing that picture in our imagination on that wall. One day... While shopping, I strolled into a small art gallery, and as I walked through the door, I stopped so suddenly, a gentleman walking behind me crashed into an easel. I apologized and pointed to a painting hanging at the at head height across the room. That's what did it. I've never seen anything so wonderful. He introduced himself as the owner of the gallery and said, yes, an original by the greatest English painter of clipper ships the world has known. <laughs> He went on to tell me about the artist, but I wasn't listening. I could not take my eyes from that wonderful ship, and suddenly I experienced a very strange thing. It was only a moment in time, but the art gallery faded, and I saw that picture on my wall. I'm afraid the owner thought me a little giddy, and I was, but I finally managed to return my attention to his voice when he mentioned an astronomical price. I smiled and said, well, perhaps one day. He continued to tell me about the painter and also about an American artist who was the only living lithographer capable of copying the great English master. He said, if you're very lucky, you may pick up one of his prints. I've seen his work. It's perfect, down to the last detail. Many people prefer prints to paintings. Prints or paintings, I knew nothing about the values of either. And anyway, all I wanted was that scene. When my husband returned home that evening, I talked of nothing but that painting, and I pleaded with him to visit the gallery and see it. Maybe we could find a print of it somewhere. The man said, yes, he interrupted, but you know we can't afford any picture now. (laughs) Our conversation ended there, but that night after dinner, I stood in our living room, and I saw that picture on our wall. The next day, my husband had an appointment with a client 
which he did not want to keep, but the appointment was kept, and my husband did not return home until after dark. When he walked through the front door, I was busy in another part of the house and called a greeting to him. A few minutes later, I heard hammering and walked into the living room to see what he was doing. On our wall hung my picture. In my first moment of intense joy, I remembered the man in the art gallery saying, If you're very lucky, you may pick up one of his prints. Lucky? Well, here's my husband's part of the story. (laughs) Making the call already mentioned, he entered one of the poorest, meanest little houses he'd ever been in. The client introduced himself and led my husband into a tiny dark dining area where the two of them sat down at a bare table. As my husband put his briefcase on the tabletop, he looked up and saw the picture on the wall. He confessed to me he had conducted a very sloppy interview because he couldn't take his eyes from that picture. The client signed the contract and gave a check as down payment, which as my husband believed at the time was $10 short. Mentioning this fact to the client, he said the check given was every cent he could afford, but added, I've noticed your interest in that picture. It was here when I took this place. I don't know who it belonged to, but I don't want it. If you'll put the $10 in for me, I'll give you the picture. When my husband returned to his company's main office, he learned that he had been in error about the amount. It was not charged. He was not charged $10. Our picture is on the wall, and it costs us nothing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I love that. You know, also, what stands out to you? Does something stand out to you in particular about this story? A few things, actually. Um, I wanted to mention one of them, and that was about halfway through. Well, actually, yeah, about halfway through the story um, where she says, um, uh, let's see, prints or paintings. I knew nothing about the values of either in any way. All I wanted was that scene. When my husband returned home that evening, I talked nothing but that painting and pleaded with him to visit the gallery and see it. Maybe we could find a print of it somewhere, the man said. Yes, he interrupted, but you know we can't afford any picture now. And the reason that resonated with me is I had that exact conversation with my wife within the past week. Because what she, but, it, but it was for a slightly different reason. Um, it was over a house. And it was a particular house that we had just seen that we knew was outside of our price range. But she was going on about how, well, we could take the extra money um, from the great place we get on and we could put it into doing up the basement somewhere and so forth. And I said, we can't even afford the house. What are you talking about? She says, I'm imagining. Don't interrupt me. <laughs> oh, I love it. That's awesome. So... I said to her, this is actually something that's come up before, so I said to her, you know, we really need to come up with like a safe word so that we can, <laughs> we can tell each other, okay, what I'm doing here is imagining, so don't interrupt me. <laughs> and so, I, so she says, well, how about hippopotamus? <laughs> and when she said that, I laughed because that's her favorite Christmas song. I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. Oh, my goodness. And that's a very old Christmas song from the 1950s. Uh, basically sung by a young girl who wants a hippopotamus for Christmas, and she has all these different uh, ideas in her head about how she's going to care for the hippo and how uh, hippos are actually safe to be around humans because they're vegetarians and so on and so forth. But but nothing else would do it. Not a, not a rhinoceros. Not a, it has to be a hippopotamus. It, it's a silly song, and, it's, and as a result, it's my wife's favorite song. Well, basically what she was saying to me is, this is our way of saying, this is our silly imagining time. Right. What a great idea that is. I love it. It's perfect. Yeah. Yeah. So that's our new safe sign, hippo. <laughs> hippoing. <laughs> I love it. I've told you this before. One of my one of my BFFs, uh, Jeanette Ma, who is 
I always call her the law of attraction coach. Mm. Um, sometimes we're on the phone with each other, and I, I'm really not sure if either one of us is telling the truth about anything. <laughs> but she's like the best scripter I know. She can just get, just, you know, I called her up one time when something pretty troubling had happened over the weekend, and I said, I, I said, all I want you to do, I just want you to talk about this. I just want you to. Just, I just got to have your scripting power. And she just took off, like on a dime, just talking wow. about the how great everything was going to turn out. And how and it was so convincing that by the time we I got done talking, I, was just, I totally believed it. I was like, yeah, because there was so much energy there. And that's the thing that stood out to me about this particular story is that the woman said at one point, she said um, her husband was talking to her, I think, but she – she couldn't even think about it because she just kept thinking about the picture. And then the man that was describing the artist to her and she wasn't even listening because she couldn't take her eyes off the picture. I'm like, when Neville made the comment about your heart being in it, Mm. I mean, that's what's happening here is, and you know, it really might sound trivial to think, here, these people needed everything you need when you build a house, carpet, draperies, furniture, you know, all the stuff you have to have to be living there. But they were both like, it sounds like they were obsessed with this they picture. Were. And then when they saw the picture um, and see, that was part of the manifestation to me is in other words, they had imagined a painting of a clipper ship. Yes. I mean, that's how the story starts out. They don't say, you know, one day we were walking through an art gallery, we saw a fantastic painting. They said, we needed lots of things, but the one thing we both wanted, and it sounds totally trivial, but we wanted a painting of a white clipper ship. And then she, she goes into a gallery, and there it is. So I think that was the first manifestation right there. Mm-hmm. Is that she imagined a painting she wanted, walks into a gallery, and a Holy smokes, there's the painting I've been picturing. Bang, yeah, just like that. So, you know, that that really stood out. But just the passion and focus, like they couldn't even focus on anything else. Yeah. Like even the man said when he went to his meeting, where he eventually got the painting, he did a sloppy interview because he couldn't <laughs> yeah. stop looking at the painting. So it's <laughs> right. like they really were on fire for this thing, right? They were, like, yeah. Okay, so that gives us a hint. Well, it, it, <laughs> I think this is starting to point at what Neville is talking about when he says it's all trivia. That that trivia, yeah, it's all about the trivia. The trivia is how we zero in and focus in on that thing that we really, really, really desire. Yeah. Yep. So here's the last one for the chapter. It looks like we're going to get started on a second chapter today, which is oh my goodness. Like a miracle, right? No kidding. It says, of R.L., who writes the following letter, it must be said, quote, from Shakespeare, the quote is, In faith, lady, you have a merry heart. (laughs) The letter says, One day during a bus strike, I needed to go into the downtown area and had to walk 10 blocks from my home to the nearest bus in operation. Before starting home, I recalled there was no food market on this new route, and I wouldn't be able to shop for dinner. I had enough to manage a potluck meal, but I would need bread. After shopping all day, the 10 blocks back from the bus line was all I could manage, and to go still farther to shop for bread was just out of the question. I stood very still for a moment and allowed a vision of bread to dance in my head. (laughs) Then I started for home. 
When I boarded the bus, I was so tired, I grabbed the first available seat and almost sat on a paper bag. Now on a crowded bus, tired passengers rarely look directly at one another, so being naturally curious, I peeked into the bag. Of course, it was a loaf of bread. Not just any bread, but the very same brand of bread I always buy. <laughs> I love it. That's just <laughs> And Neville says trifles, all trifles. But they produced their trivia without price. Imagining accomplished these things without the means generally reputed necessary to do so. Man rates wealth in a way that bears no relation to real values. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. The quote from <laughs> Isaiah 55. Um, I think it's interesting, you know, um, I'm trying to think of this quote because I, can't remember who said it or exactly how it goes, but just the, it's an idea that it is the little things that make up our life, oh, yeah. right? It's the little things that, and, you know, even teaching a small class yesterday, one of the things we talked about was that idea that it's not the climb up the mountain, it's the pebble in your shoe, mm. right? Mm -hmm. The little things, it's the little things that rub us the wrong way, it's the little things that bring joy and delight. So. I almost feel like, well, there's nothing trivial about manifesting these things that are in this category of trivia because they're the things that bring us joy. I agree completely. Yeah. In fact, um, I, I would also point out that from my perspective, I won't say this about everybody, but from my perspective, I mean, we, we, we as human beings love manifestation stories. We read them through Neville's stories all the time, and, and they're great. And the ones that most of us are drawn to are the ones where like the woman who said, uh, isn't it uh, wonderful, something marvelous is happening right. for me now, and then she ends up uh, getting this huge income for life. I mean, that's a big manifestation <laughs> story, huge. you know? Right. And, and, and a lot of Neville's stories are big manifestation stories, but I still maintain the best stories are often the small ones, the trivial stories, because they're uh -huh. the ones that we are more likely to overlook in life. We don't tend to overlook that major income that appears out of thin air and then sticks with us for the rest of our life. That one becomes right. a life story that we tell over and over again. Right. But when we get the loaf of bread and the bag on the bus, you know, that's something we tell it as, as a lunchtime tale and forget about it. And, and yet those are just as important. They're be yeah. And they happen more frequently. They're the ones that happen all the time if we just notice them. Well, I think that's the key right there is that if we'll start paying attention. Yes. There are so many things that kind of just pass by us. If we'll start paying attention, we'll notice how much, how often that really does happen. And they're fun stories. <laughs> they are. They're great. They're the best. I mean, that's how you end up with uh, sparrows landing on the finger of Aunt Lisa. So oh, I really want that. <laughs> so, so the next chapter, and this is the second to the last chapter, so we're winding up. Wow. Yeah. It's called The Creative Moment. And Neville starts with a quote from the Christian Bible from 1 Corinthians. It says, The natural man does not receive the gifts of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he's not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned. And then he quotes Blake. There is a moment in each day that Satan cannot find, nor can his watch friends, I think, is what it says watch fiends, find it. But the industrious find this moment, and it multiplies, and when it's once found, it renovates every moment of the day if rightly placed. I'm guessing that Neville is saying this is the creative moment. Um, whenever we imagine things as they ought to be, rather than as they seem to be, is the moment. 
For in that moment, the spiritual man's work is done, and all the great events of time start forth to mold a world in harmony with that moment's altered pattern. Then he says, Satan, Blake writes, is a reactor. He never acts. He only reacts. And if our attitude to the happenings of the day is reactionary, are we not playing Satan's part? <laughs> Man is only reacting in his natural or Satan state. He never acts or creates. He only reacts or recreates. One real creative moment, one real feeling of the wish fulfilled, is worth more than the whole natural life of reaction. In such a moment, God's work is done. Once more, we may say with Blake, God only acts and is in the existing beings or men. He says there's an imaginal past and an imaginal future. If by reacting, the past is recreated into the present, so by acting out our dreams of fancy, can the future be brought into the present? I feel now the future in the instant, a quote from Macbeth. The spiritual man acts. For him, anything that he wants to do, he can do, and do it once, in his imagination. And his motto is always, the moment is now. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation, from Second Corinthians. Nothing stands between man and the fulfillment of his dream, but facts. And facts are the creations of imagining. If man changes his imagining, he will change the facts. I'm pretty sure I have that sentence highlighted in my Neville book somewhere. <laughs> I also want to mention something, too, because there's a story coming up. But before we get to the story, I want to yeah. mention something that I think is really just jumping out at me. He says, the spiritual man acts. For him, anything that he wants to do, he can do it and do it once in his imagination. And his motto is always, the moment is now. Yes. Which is a great reminder. And I want to kind of tag on to it. And tell me if you think this is something Neville would tag on to as well. For me, the best action is the one that I'm imagining and doing. Because if I'm, if, and by doing, I mean doing in real time physically. Um, mm -hmm. So if I'm both imagining it and doing it, first of all, that's when I'm getting the most pleasure out of it. I'm getting the most satisfaction out of doing it. And secondly, I am harnessing the powers of my consciousness and thereby the powers of the universe to back what it is that I'm doing. So I'm going to get the best possible result that I could possibly get out of this thing, whatever it is that I'm doing. Now, I don't know that Neville actually thought that when he wrote this, but that's what occurred to me, that mm -hmm. I mean, he said the spiritual man acts, which generally for us usually means acts physically, but he's talking right. in imagination here. And I'm thinking, why not both at the same time? What I what 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 I was thinking about when we were reading that was that um, the difference between a reaction and a response, and that reaction is usually because it's uh, default for us mm -hmm. the way we react. And it's funny that the word it's re, you know, react. It's like over and over again. Like yeah. we act, and then there's that react. The reaction is something we've done many times, and, mm -hmm. and it's easy, and it just happens by default. 
And that's why we just keep re- recreating. See, there we go again. The same thing over and over is right. because it's just a reaction. And I would much rather be conscious about things and have a response. So I love that he's talking about this. And yeah, I think you're right. Now, when you talk about uh, acting at, or and doing, are you are you talking about or imagining and doing? Are you talking about how you form the imagination? In other words, instead of just imagining some outcome in my imagination, I'm I'm actually doing the thing. Like we've talked about creating a vignette where we're doing something, we're shaking hands with someone, we're touching something, we're actually taking action. Is that what you're speaking of? I'm trying to learn to do that more. Mm -hmm. Um, What what I'm originally coming from position-wise is I could probably best describe it to people who are not programmers using programming terms, but I'll try to keep it as non-programming as possible. When when you're writing program code, if if you're really in that zone, because zone is that high vibration place, right? When right. you're in, when you're really in that zone, as you're writing the code, you are imagining what you want this code to do, what actions you want it to perform on the screen of whatever whatever right. device the person is who's using it, and how you want what they're interacting, what their interaction is is producing to affect other things. So so you're basically imagining this little world playing out in this code that you're writing. And when you're in that zone, I, I find that not only am I imagining how somebody else would use it, I'm imagining how I would use it. And then, and so I, I kind of am walking myself in my mind Got through it. what I want the code to do. And then I write the code as I'm thinking, that, okay, so I want to do this, blah, 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 blah. And then I want to do this, blah, 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 blah. Now, how does that work? Well, when I do this, it works like this, and it works like this, and I'm playing it out in my mind. It, it's like this ongoing cycle. It's a sort of a yin-yang thing going back and forth. I'm imagining it. I'm doing it. I'm imagining it. I'm doing it. And that's okay. kind of what I was thinking about when I was talking about this. Yeah. Now, I can't say I've gotten to the point where I am completely imagining the feeling of the wish fulfilled while I'm able to do that. Because programming takes a lot of mental activity. I mean, there's a lot of logic and reason you have to follow. So it's right. hard to stay also connected to the imaginal side at the same time. But I'm working toward that. And I say that I'm working toward that because I'm finding that's when I do my most productive code writing. Well, I always think it's really important that when we're imagining an outcome or imagining something we want to create, that we also will allow ourselves to take some kind of action, however small it is, that would be the action we would take if this thing were actually true. Yeah. Like some people will talk about, um, well, like the woman that went to the art gallery and saw the painting. Like, she went to an art gallery, <laughs> right? right? Like, we both know she didn't have the money to buy the painting because her Absolutely. husband said, like, we don't have the money to buy a painting or a print right now. And <laughs> But she went to the art gallery, so yep. there was some action taken. And the interesting thing is that so often it's through that action that we take that something else happens. So there's, you know... There's the imagination side, and then, yes, I, I agree, the doing side or the taking action. It doesn't have to be big action. Because a lot of people that are trying to manifest something, especially if they're trying to manifest money or if they're trying to manifest something but they think the how is to manifest the money mm-hmm. to go buy it, mm-hmm. and then they say, well, I can't take any action because I don't have the money to take the action, right? 
And you don't need the money to take the action. There's all kinds of actions that you would take. I remember talking to a friend of mine who said that what she wanted, and I, she has achieved it, and what she wanted at the time was she said, I want to be a well-funded retiree because they were retiring and they wanted to have more money so that they could do the things they wanted to do. And so I said to her, well, you have to just act like a well-funded retiree. And she said, but I don't have the money to act. Because in her mind, she's thinking I would be spending this money. Mm -hmm. And I said, but you still are doing things. You're still taking action. And I said, how does a well-funded retiree throw the towels in the washing machine? Mm -hmm. Right? Like embody it. Because you're still going to be doing these things. And so do them that way. So I, I, I think we're in agreement on this point that the action is important. It is. And, and and it's also important that both are actions. There is the physical action and there is the imaginal action. They are both actions. That's the way Neville was using the word. He was yep. using the word act to mean imagine, to use your imagination. They are right. both Be- forms of acting. Yeah, because it's the imagination that's creating it. And he right. says that right here. I mean, and I we read this sentence already, but I really love it. Facts are the creations of imagining. Mm-hmm. If man changes his imagining, he will change the facts. Yeah. I'll, I'll tell you something that I had thought about doing. I haven't tried it yet. And this is something <laughs> that, that I would only try uh, in a bank where I really knew the staff, like a, a particular bank teller. You know, I had a relationship with this person, and, and that person was used to seeing me because I was always doing my banking there, and, and we talked about a lot of stuff, and maybe even got to the point where I told them I was into the law of attraction. That's the kind of relationship I would have to have. And right now I don't have any relationships like that with any bank teller, so I'm far away from that. <laughs> okay. But what I would I'm gonna get an email after this podcast. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> what, I, what I've thought about doing is going into you know developing that relationship first with somebody so that they know that I'm not trying to pull the wool over their eyes or something, and say, you know, would you try? Would you do a little thing with me? Nobody's in the bank right now, so there's nobody in line. I'm not interrupting anybody. I'm going to make out a fake check to myself for a billion dollars or some ridiculous amount like that. <laughs> right. And I'm going to endorse it. And I'm going to fill out a deposit slip, and I'm going to bring it to you. And I don't want you to actually process it. I want you to pretend like you're processing it. And then I want you to pretend you're giving me a receipt back so I can experience the feeling of writing out, a, of, of taking a billion-dollar check, writing out a deposit slip, depositing it in the bank, and getting the receipt back. <laughs> and I, I just occurs to me that that would be like a really powerful way to imagine and act yeah. at the same time. It's both all combined into one piece. Could I find a bank teller willing to do that? I don't know. I mean, this kind of goes against a lot of banks' rules. Do we anything even close to that? But, right, right. Yeah. But you can start at home with Louise, and just like the next yeah, time you, sure. wait, you just say, honey, do you have the deposit slip? And she hands you it. You know, yes, like, right. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah. All right, so let's see. Uh, let's see where we are. Okay, new story coming up. This story tells of a young woman who found the moment – And by acting out her dream of fancy, brought the future into the instant, not realizing what she had done until the final scene. The incident related below must appear to be coincidence to those never exposed to your teaching. But I know I observed an imaginative act take solid form in perhaps four minutes. I believe you will be interested in reading this account written down exactly as it happened a few minutes after the actual occurrence yesterday morning. I was driving my car east on Sunset Boulevard in the center lane of traffic, braking slowly to stop for a red signal at a three-way intersection 
when my attention was caught by the sight of an elderly lady dressed all in gray running across the street in front of my car. Yikes. Her arm was raised, signaling to the driver of a bus, which was beginning to pull away from the curb. She was obviously attempting to cross in front of the bus to delay it. The driver slowed his vehicle, and I thought would allow her to enter. Instead, as she jumped onto the curb, the bus pulled away, leaving her standing just in the act of lowering her arm. She turned and walked swiftly toward a nearby phone booth. As my signal changed to green and I put my car in motion, I wished I'd been behind the bus and had been able to offer her a ride. Her extreme agitation was obvious, even from the distance I was away from her. My wish instantly fulfilled itself in a mental drama, and as I drove away, the fancy played itself out in the following scene. I opened the car door, and a lady dressed in gray stepped in, smilingly relieved, thanking me profusely. She was out of breath from running and said, I only have a few blocks to go. I'm meeting friends, and I was so afraid they would leave without me when I missed my bus. I left my imaginary lady out a few blocks farther on, and she was delighted to observe her friends still waiting for her. She thanked me again and walked away. The entire mental scene was spanned in the time it takes to drive one block at a normal rate of speed. The fancy satisfied my feelings regarding the real incident, and I immediately forgot it. Four blocks farther, I was still in the center lane and again had to stop for a red signal. My attention at this time was turned inward on something I have now forgotten when suddenly someone tapped on the closed window of my car and I looked up to see a lovely appearing elderly lady with gray hair dressed all in gray. Smiling, she asked if she might ride a few blocks with me as she had missed her bus. She was out of breath as though from running and I was so stunned by her sudden appearance in the middle of a busy street at my window that for a moment I could only react physically and without answering, leaned over and opened the car door. She got in and said, it's so annoying to rush so and then miss a bus. I wouldn't have imposed on you like this, but I'm supposed to meet some friends a few blocks down the street. And if I had to walk now, I would miss them. Six blocks farther on, she exclaimed, oh good, they're still waiting for me. I let her out. And she thanked me again and walked away. I'm afraid I drove to my own destination by automatic reflex, for I had fully recognized that I had just observed a waking dream take form in physical action. I recognized what was happening while it was happening. As soon as I could, I wrote down each part of the incident and found a startling consistency between the waking dream and the subsequent reality. Both women were elderly, gracious in manner, dressed all in gray, and out of breath from hurrying to catch a bus and missing it. Both wished to meet friends, who for some reason could not wait for them much longer. <laughs> and both left my car within the space of a few blocks after successfully completing their contact with their friends. I am amazed, confounded, and elated. If there is no such thing as coincidence or accident, that I witnessed imagination become reality almost instantaneous. Mm, that's a cool story. <laughs> You know, I have to say, um, this story makes most sense to me almost than any of the stories because I feel like I have this happen on a regular basis. Really? Yeah. And and, and as I was reading it, I was like, oh, do I just like not even consider these things mm. and just let them go by? Because all the time I will have something in my mind and then it happens right afterwards and I don't really think anything of it. It's like that's how it works. Mm -hmm. Um 
So it's given me a moment to think, uh, like we talked about earlier, trivial things that we might just pass by. How many times does this happen? Uh, I can tell you that it's a question that doesn't just occupy your attention and mine. And the reason I say that is about, I don't know, a few weeks ago, Alex and I did a show on the topic of what if we miss manifestations. And to this, to this day, it is the most listened to episode that we've done in the last four months. By wow. far. It's closing in on 1,000 listens. Wow. Yes. Yeah. So this is a, this is something that a lot of people are becoming aware of and are cognizant of and, and are recognizing the importance of noticing more in their own lives the stuff that happens because literally we live lives of miracles. Yeah. And we skip so many of them. <laughs> so true. Wow. Very cool. Yeah. All right. So we continue on in this chapter with a quote that I think we read at the top of the chapter. There is a moment in each day that Satan cannot find, nor can his watch fiends find it. But the industrious find this moment, and it multiplies. And when it once it is found, it renovates every moment of the day, if rightly placed. So this is a, another letter. From the first time I read your search, I have longed to experience a vision. Since you have told us of the promise... This desire has been intensified. I want to tell you of my vision, which was a glorious answer to my prayer, but I am sure I would not have had this experience were it not for something that occurred two weeks ago. It was necessary for me to park my car some distance from the university building where I was scheduled to conduct my class. As I left my car, I was conscious of the stillness about me. The street was completely deserted. No one was in sight. Suddenly... I heard a most frightful, cursing voice. Ooh. I looked toward the sound and saw a man brandishing a cane, yelling between vile words, I'll kill you, I'll kill you. I continued on as he approached me, for at that moment I thought, now I can test what I have professed to believe. If I do believe we are one, the father, this derelict and I, no harm can come to me. At that moment I had no fear. Instead of seeing a man coming toward me, I felt a light. He stopped yelling, dropped his cane, and walked quietly as we passed with less than a foot between us. Having tested my faith at that moment, everything about me had seemed more alive than before. Flowers brighter and trees greener. I have had a sense of peace and the oneness of life I had not known before. Last Friday, I drove to our country home. Nothing was unusual about the day or evening. I worked on a manuscript and not being tired, did not try to fall off to sleep until around two the following morning. Then I turned off the light and drifted into that floating sensation, not asleep, but drowsy, as I call it, half awake and half asleep. Often while in this state, lovely unknown faces float before me. But this morning, the experience was different. A perfect face of a child came before me in profile. Then it turned and smiled at me. It was glowing with light and seemed to fill my own head with light. It was a glow and ex I was aglow and excited and thought, this must be the Christos. <laughs> but something within me, without sound, said, no, this is you. I feel I will never be the same again, and someday I may experience the promise. <laughs> 
Our dreams will be realized from the time that we know that imagining creates reality and act. But imagination seeks from us something much deeper and more fundamental than creating things. Nothing less indeed than the recognition of its own oneness with God. That what it does is, in reality, God himself doing it in and through man, who is all imagination. Very good stuff. He makes a comment in his story, or her story, I'm not sure which, uh, Let's see if I can find it. Having tested my faith at that moment, everything about me had seemed more alive than before. Flowers brighter and trees greener. I have had a sense of peace and the oneness of life I had never known. I had not known before. Mm-hmm. And it occurs to me. I think we've all experienced feelings like that at various times, where everything just seems more clear, where our senses are I... just presenting information to us in a way that is strikingly clear strikingly bright, strikingly brilliant, strikingly, you know, tonally beautiful or whatever. Uh, and those are the, that's the clue. That's the clue that right now there's something for us to notice, some manifestation that we hadn't seen before. Now, that's like a, a, a clue that says, hey, stop, wait, there's something here for you. You got to pay attention to this. This is really, really big. Yeah. It, it also, it makes me think about Neville in the one chapter or maybe a different book. Now I can't remember where we read it, but when Neville was talking about lucid dreaming mm, mm-hmm. and that even though it's, it's, it's a undertaking for most people to accomplish it in a lucid dream, that's exactly the way it is. It's like it's people that have lucid dreams will say that those dreams are more real than real life. Mm-hmm. And that's why the sounds are sharper. The colors are brighter. Everything is heightened. And so it's interesting that Neville talked about using lucid dreaming as a form of conscious creation, as a method to our imagining. It's like hyper-imagining. It's like, you know, imagining on steroids. And now you have the same type of hyper, you know, sensitivity to sounds and colors and everything in this guy's experience as you would have there. So it makes sense what you're saying, that if we have that experience where everything seems heightened, um, Pay attention. Something's <laughs> going on. Maybe in that moment that Neville's right. talking about. The creative moment. And truly, yeah. that is what happens in a creative moment. Right. Um, I mean, it doesn't necessarily have to be particular senses heightened. It can be just a heightened feeling overall. It, it, mm-hmm. But there's something that is increased in those moments. And I always associate them with what it feels like to have come up with something, come, you know, created something, come up with a it's new an idea. aha moment. Naha, yeah, that's a good way yeah. to describe it. Yeah. yeah, it's an aha moment, and those aha moments are there to remind us: pay attention. This is big. This is something this is to celebrate. Yeah. <laughs> Don't forget to celebrate. Remember to celebrate. You are celebrating, right? Remember to celebrate. <laughs> right. Remember to celebrate. Go excited about it. So good stuff. Before we go on, I want to make sure that people have the uh, reminder and the opportunity to reach out, like our reader did to you. Um, yeah, that was so nice. Some information. Uh-huh. So tell people again how to reach Cindy Chavez. Yeah, you can find me online at my website, C-I-N-D-I-E-C-H-A-V-E-Z.com, CindyChavez.com. And there's a contact form there, and I would love to hear from you. Love, Just give me a shout or Same. look for me on Facebook or Twitter or wherever. The same s- name everywhere, Cindy Chavez. I would, I would same, love to hear from you. The same contact form that our listener used to contact you, right? Yeah, and That's, that's right? how they reached out to you. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's good stuff. (laughs) And uh, also, uh, I I haven't been ignoring uh, our live stream listeners. They've been making a lot of comments and saying hello and so forth. Um, I did want to acknowledge one. Lava Guy asked, Sir, when will you change the picture of yourself? I think he's referring to the still picture I have that goes up on (laughs) the page. And I have to admit that that picture's been around for quite some time. (laughs) I guess the answer is when the mood strikes me. Right? (laughs) It hasn't struck me yet. But uh, it, I, I think I leave that one up because my wife likes that one, particularly because of the shirt that I'm wearing in that particular <laughs> photo, because um, of the, the bright colors of the shirt. So I'll, I'll keep it in mind, but not no plans to change it just yet. <laughs> if he starts imagining you with a different picture, it'll probably just change, right? It probably will. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, I won't even have an explanation as to why I changed it. <laughs> So with that enigmatic thought in mind, thank you very much once again for your insights regarding the law and the promise. Once again, decoding the Neville decoder ring for us. Appreciate that very much. Thank you to our live streamers. Thank you to our podcast listeners who are increasing in number almost exponentially. We really appreciate it because without you, we wouldn't have a podcast. With that thought in mind, we will see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, everyone.